Hey guys, welcome back to the Max Spence Business Podcast. Today I have a very special guest. Uh, before I jump into that, uh, if you guys like the content I'm putting out, you know, please, you know, like, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, if you can go over to Apple Podcasts and you know, uh, like the podcast and leave a review. Uh, without further ado, uh, today's guest is Quasi. So Quasi is the broker of rec- uh, record at Center Capital uh, Investment Realty. So pretty much, he specializes in uh, the sale of multifamily properties. Uh, it's great having you on the show, Quasi. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So why don't we jump into uh, an intro about, you know, uh, how did you get into real estate? Like your backstory, uh, did you grow up in Ottawa? Uh, and what sort of led you to the real estate industry? So, yeah, I, I grew up in Ottawa. I grew up in Ottawa. I was born and raised in Ottawa. My, uh, my mom's originally from Ghana, West Africa. My dad's from Barbados. They both went to university in England. My dad got a job here in Ottawa at the uh, NRC. And uh, they've been here ever since. They had us, me and my two sisters. <coughs> Uh, and so what got me into real estate, my, my, um, let's put it this way. My, my mom had a couple investment properties, uh, like smaller ones. She had a single family. She had, she still has actually most of them. Uh, she has a, uh, a, uh, condo property. She has oh, actually two, she had three condo properties and told them one, uh, what, what's the future development property It's a single family house. And we're looking at development, developing that in the future. And she's the one who really pushed it on me. My dad, honestly, he was quite nervous about real estate. You know, he came from um, a different type of background than she did. So he was just happy to, you know, get selected to to work for the NRC and make, uh, you know, make make a good living and, and just kind of take it easy, not take, not take on too much risk. My mom was a bit more, uh, I guess, business background. Her father, my grandfather, was uh, started from not very much and, and built a very successful lucrative uh, business before he passed away and so real estate my grandma put this put this word i guess in her that uh, if you have land you'll always eat so from them i mean my grandpa he had he had land he had uh houses he had uh um he had uh he was in a hotel business at one point too so you know my mom was quite familiar i guess and comfortable with the idea so what 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 Look the light on for me, and again, this is from an investment point of view, not necessarily from real estate sales point of view. So that that's really where I started. Was wanted to get into investing in real estate and buying property. Uh, so what what flipped the light on for me? My mom, my mom had this one tenant that always paid in cash, and so uh, that's because they were a restaurant owner. Uh, they owned a, uh, I believe it was a Chinese restaurant. I can't, uh, I can't remember exactly, but so they always paid in cash, and this was back when I was like uh, before before I was in high school. And so they would come to the door, they, you know, every once a month, they'd ring the doorbell, they come in and, you know, they just always had this wad of cash. And I was, so I asked my mom, like, you know, what, what's the story with this? I mean, you know, and then that's when she started kind of opening the door to me on, on what it was about and, and why I get involved in real estate. And then from there, she had first courses and uh, she invited me to be here plus one. And so I hear about real estate and uh, the understanding financial freedom and understanding, you know, where it can go. And that's what what started off with me in real estate. I mean, in terms of what started me off as a broker or being in the real estate sales business was that one, well, one, you know, you still need to, contrary to maybe popular belief, I mean, to say, I want to be an investor tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're making great money, unless you started with a, you know, a big chunk of capital, I think it's very difficult to do, uh, to have a, a, a comfortable lifestyle and have you know properties right out the gate or right right up just thinking about it again unless you had a an inheritance or you know a good chunk of cash that you saved so the idea is you know you working working in real estate being being that I'm so interested in it 
anyway, being that I wanted to keep learning more about it. If I'm right there, let's say, quote, unquote, in the trenches, seeing the deals happen on top of the market, I'll know when the right opportunities are. I'll know when I, you're able to be out there and meet the right people, people to partner with, people who, you know, you hear other scenarios, similar to how the heck you're doing. You're talking to different business owners, trying to learn more. Uh, when I started in the business, uh, that's what it was a lot of, too. It was a lot of coffee meetings, you know, meeting different people, trying to see how they did it, what they did, you know, how, how they got from, from the sales perspective as well as from the investment. So that's the uh, Cole's No Stories, I guess, of how I got started. Okay, okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, so that's really interesting. So you, your, your mom was in sort of, uh, you know, their real estate investment sort of side. Uh, and that sort of led you down to, you know, being interested in multifamily and then sort of later on, you know, getting a real estate license, then getting your broker uh, license. So, um, well, you- well, to be truthful, I mean, to say, to say, to say that, uh, not, not to interrupt you, but to say that interested in multifamily, I say it was really just open the door to real estate. She, even she, because she was just someone who worked a job, uh, she knew real estate was good and she knew buying was good. And they, my parents bought in Orleans back in uh, the late 80s, you know, when Orleans was like farm town, you know what I mean? So when these condos came up at like, you know, 75,000 a condo, she was kind of like, okay, this would be a good investment. You know, I've seen my grandpa, I've seen what my, my father done and, and, you know, I've seen what other people have done. This is a good investment. And it was, you know, like long-term wise, it, that property's done very well. Those properties are worth, you know, considerably more today. <clears throat> so we knew, she, so she knew about, buying houses and buying this part, but she didn't quite know the full scale of it. She didn't quite know like uh, about multifamily or about other commercial assets or how to go about buying that. She didn't really understand, um, you know, raising capital with other partners, if that's something worth doing. Like, I mean, so there were some opportunities. She talks about it all the time. Opportunities that were presented to her, you know, years ago that she wished she could have jumped on. That knowing what she knows now, she would have jumped on, but back then, you know, she didn't know. So got me into real estate what got me into multifamily was when i when i started working at center capital because uh center capital was very focused on uh multi multifamily at the time i mean uh, there was a management aspect to the company so we managed multifamily buildings uh, my first quote-unquote job with center capital i was a leasing agent renting apartments so that's how i got into the in and out and understanding management a bit better so that's what got me into multifamily but what got me into real estate my mom opened into real estate center capital opened the door to multifamily and as well as other all, all aspects of commercial real estate in general at this point. Yeah, 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 true, true. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess when you started at Center Capital, you saw like the value that multifamily has, uh, and, and that's what I sort of see. Like when I'm talking to different, uh, you know, investors, it usually starts with them looking at, let's say, a condo or a single family home, and then them learning about like, oh, multifamily. Like I can buy a 12 unit building, and I can buy a 30 unit building, and then that sort of just scales up to like you know 100 or 200 unit building, right? Uh, and then, you know, the economies of scale and that, how it works, like works with them to sort of increase the value of the property. Um, yeah. so w- when you started working at, uh, center capital, uh, like what, uh, what, 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 what were you like? I, I, I saw that you, you yeah, you, you're doing the leasing, but you're also doing research and other stuff. So what, what, like, yeah. could you take us through like some of the research as like, let's say if somebody was interested in, uh, going into the real estate industry, what, you know, like what was. What, what sort of like a, what position is a research analyst and what do they sort of do in the day-to-day life? So when I was at uh, Center Capital on the research analyst position, I mean, uh, we we're still a fairly new company, uh, especially at that time. I mean, so, you know, this company was started in 2009. Uh, we're now 2020, so we've been around a while. Uh, but it's always been a boutique style brokerage, 
we've never been too many. We've never had, I don't think at one time we've ever had more than seven agents uh, in the office. So my role at that time was really to help facilitate uh, one, finding transactions or finding opportunities uh, within a limited capacity because when I was a researcher, I wasn't licensed. So, you know, as an unlicensed agent, there's only so much you can do. You can't uh, talk to sellers about costs. You can't talk to them. So what we did was we did a lot of surveys in terms of what people, what people, you know, trying to keep that relationship open with the clients that are doing surveys and how is their rentals doing, how is the properties doing, what their thoughts were, and if they did want to sell, that's when you pass it to a broker. But the other part about it was really keeping on top of the market. So I was like really, really, really deep into like CMHC reports at that time in terms of what the rental market was doing, what it wasn't doing. We had access, uh, we still have access for like softwares like the real tracks so we can see what the sales are doing those are that's how you track sales that are off off the market so we were following that quite a bit in terms of the trends of you know what uh what things were selling for versus what they were renting for versus what the cap rates were versus what they weren't what the cap rates were and you know what they were then and what they were today are obviously different uh, they've all been compressed so for, for the most part i mean for the most part yeah my, my, my responsibility was to try to do the, do the surveys to see if we could find new opportunities as well as do the research so we could talk, uh, so we could speak educated, so we could speak, what we must speak uh, anyway, properly about uh, what, what's happening in the market. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, what, what, so after that point and then you sort of like, was your goal like within the company, was there like a, a position as like an acquisitions for, you know, multifamily property in the company or was it more focused on actually uh, selling uh, multifamily real estate? Uh, so I wouldn't say there was a position of acquisitions, at least at the time. At the time, it was a matter of your brokerage. If you're, you know, the, the, the concept was, so we had, we still, and we still have kind of, we had the property management side and then we have the brokerage side. And the property management side was at the time doing third party property management for clients, as well as the company would also be buying property. So I wouldn't say there was a, again, at that time, there was a specific acquisition person just for the company. We were essentially all the brokers were there and we all knew the company, but we found something that was good for the company. The company looked at it all the time. When I was in the research position, that was really my job to look at those deals and say, yeah, this is worth passing off to the broker because there could be opportunity here, or this is not worth passing off to the broker because this person wants uh, crazy money. Uh, so for me, I, I wanted to get licensed. I mean, I knew that was the the um, the, the way of of making a quote unquote living in in uh, you know working in real estate. So if you can the idea, and again the idea of be right there on the forefront, so you can get licensed, be able to sell property. But I always wanted to do commercial. I always wanted multifamily. I never was really that personally. I was never that interested in the homes. Um, not to say anything wrong with homes. I mean, obviously we were just talking about. Uh, that other agent before and you know selling homes can be very lucrative there's no question about it it just wasn't an interest for me where the start of real estate came into me was being able to buy property so i wanted to follow a path of whatever was going to lead me more towards buying properties and uh, being involved in properties or whether partnering up with other uh, uh, investors to buy properties that was always uh, the focus of my business Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That, and, and that's what I, uh, I, I see with like, uh, cause there's so many ways to get into real estate. Right. Uh, and some people go down the broker route, somebody go into, you know, let's say, let's say a huge corporation that's like a real estate investment firm. Uh, and there's lots mm -hmm. of like really interesting ways to get into real estate and get to, uh, you know, the investment side of real estate. 
Um, so jumping over to pretty much, uh, pretty much the, the market now, uh, how is sort of Ottawa, I mean, how is the multifamily market in Ottawa performed, uh, you know, since, you know, COVID and in the previous years? So in the previous years, it's done very well I mean, in Ottawa and frankly, across Canada, I mean, across Ontario, across Canada, it's, it's done very well. I mean, the demand for multifamily from investors, from your smaller private investors to big institutional investors is even bigger, uh, has been, has always been big. I mean, the interest rates keep coming down and so people can afford to pay a little bit higher cap rates and, and that's been great. I mean, people will always need a place to live. That's the, the, the general, I guess, safety net behind multifamily. Uh, vacancy rates have come down considerably, had come down considerably because there was no new construction being built. You know, now we're in a new construction rental boom. Um, but even then, it, it's it's the, the the stats that are out there say that there the demand is there. In terms of after COVID, I, I, I mean, I can tell you, even with us, we were when COVID hit. You know, it was uh, it was everyone. There was a huge unknown, not just from the market, but also from the financing side, from from the and the financing side was a big piece of it, right? I mean, and CMHC, of course, I mean, a lot of multifamily transactions that are done six plus get done CMHC because they can offer some of the best rates. So they had shut it all down for a while. So everyone, so even we were in the middle of a, of a transaction too at the time, and we just kind of said, okay, all the buyer and seller kind of said, you know what, let's let's wait to see what happens. So I mean, I, at that time, we didn't know if it was going to be like we're waiting a year. We didn't know if we're waiting a month. We didn't know. We didn't know. No one really knew what was happening. So everything stopped, and the fear was, you know, obviously the government came out with CERB. and the fear was, oh no, a lot of the tenants are going to lose their, you know, are losing their jobs and. Uh, and they're not going to be able to pay rent on time. Now, fortunately, because of CERB, uh, and, and I think also because Ottawa is a bit of a unique market relative to uh, some other markets like your Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, with a bit more volatility, um, you know, the, the space is done actually quite well. And I think there's actually other, like if from an institutional side or from a, from a side of people who are traditionally commercial, heavily commercial, they're buying office and retail, they're all now thinking more about buying multifamily and say industrial because they could see that it's like it's a bit more of a safety net because uh, especially in the office space i mean if you're if you're a purely office investor and you have a massive portfolio of office buildings and now they're empty you know or if you had a, a massive portfolio of re retail and you know all your tenants aren't rents. You know people are rethinking how they're putting together their real estate investment portfolio. So multifamily still done well. I mean the prices are still aggressive. I still I think there's still uh, like like some of the multifamily that um, like let's put it this way traditional multifamily is still doing well. You know some stuff like uh, like the student residence stuff. I think people are maybe being a bit cautious about because they're not sure that students are in school. Although like for example you know, we had a building we have a building for sale. And it's, uh, but it's still all the tenants have paid the 12 months rent, so there's no issues there. But I could still sell the market is still a little bit cautious to see what's going to happen on that side. Uh, you know, and it's and even that being said, it's not everyone that's still of the mindset that, you know what, I'm still going to jump in uh, no matter what on the multifamily side or get super, super aggressive. I mean, I still think that people have some level of, of caution in the back of their mind. But at the same time, it's like if they're going to buy any asset, it's the multifamily asset that they're. So I mean, short answer to your question, space is still quite doing well. I mean, I haven't seen any any dip in uh, in, in cap rate yet. For the sales, uh, I'd say 
yeah, at least on the stuff that we look at. I mean, people are still, people are still after it. Okay, okay, and and like, um, yeah, very, I, I, very, I, very I, interesting. I, yeah. Uh, so I I I I had uh, I don't know if you heard of uh, Justin. Uh, I think I believe his name Justin Sal- Salazar uh, from Cobol. Yeah. Uh, I, I had him on the show and, and we were talking about cap rates uh, and they're around you know four to four point five percent. And some yeah. and on these properties is like how are people making you know when somebody comes in to buy a new property and there's four percent cap rate how are they going to be making money on that with debt service uh, and expenses and stuff like how 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 like. Cause people are buying it and he was saying like people, there's people that are buying it, but he's like, you know, how are these people making money on it? That's, that's more, that's sort of my thought process about it. Yeah. Yeah. That argument is, is, I mean, people were saying that same argument when things were at five cap and people are six cap. I remember meeting a guy, a local guy, he said, you know, he, like these guys, you know, they started buying in the early nineties, you know, when they were seven and six cap. And so they're like, that's what they expect. You know what I mean? When you're talking about buyers who are, who are, who are buying in the early nineties in that, or even in the, in the late nineties, early 2000, they're expecting seven, six cap in, in central locations. So for that, to them in their mind, anything less than that is ridiculous in their mind, no matter what the interest rate is. Okay. Cause we also got to remember at that time, the interest rate was like six, 7% itself, you know, or, or whatever, whatever it was, you know? So today with interest rates and the bank of Canada said they're not even lifting it. So, with the interest rates being, you can go get, you know, you can go get mortgages on commercial assets, CMHC, like 2%, you know, two, two and two and a half percent. So that gap between the cap rate and the interest rate is how at least a lot of the bigger players look at it. If that gap is big enough, then I'm, then I'm making money. But the, the real thing behind it is it all comes down to how much money you're going to put down on the property. And you say it's four cap, I can't make any money. You know what, if you're, if the investor, let's say it's like a, it's a, it's a, whatever, it's a six unit building downtown. If you put 50% down on your property, your cash flow is going to be way higher. So, I mean, a lot of people are looking at this example of how do I put the most minimalist amount of money down on the property to be able to cash flow. Okay. And that's, and that's all fine. I mean, look, who wants to put down more money on the property if they don't have to? Where, where you make money, okay, it's not, it, it's not necessarily going to be right away. But where you're going to make money is one in the long term if you're buying, let's say, a turnkey asset at even at three and a half cap. If you're buying a turnkey and you're what, you just want to park the money there, and you have no plans on selling it, and this is like just an investment property for you as a personal person in the long term, great, you know what I mean? If you're buying it because you know because you need you run this as a business, you want to turn it over, you want to do what we like to call it, and what, what we do at Center Capital kind of been known for, what we call it forced depreciation, then even if you buy it at four cap, but let's say if you buy it at four cap, the market rents for that property should be, let's say, and, and rents been going up, Market rate for let's say that uh, two bedroom place is should be like seventeen hundred, and they're only getting you know eleven hundred for it. You know what I mean? Uh, even if I buy it at four cap with that eleven hundred, you know what I mean? I'm still uh, you're still coming ahead because that tenant moves out whether you fix that unit or not. Whether you fix that unit renter for seventeen hundred or you don't fix that unit, you're still able to get fifteen hundred. Once that turnover happens, you're gonna do you're you're gonna do very well. So how you know when people come up like how do I make money? There's different strategies of making money in different at different opportunities, but to say like you know four cap, I you know it doesn't make any sense. You have to look at the deal. You have to look at every deal and look at where the opportunities. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. 
Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's very interesting. Cause like, um, I, I know some investors, like as soon as like, like the market right now is very, very competitive because there's so many people looking for multifamily. So yeah. I'm trying to find a property that you buy and is instantly already cash flowing uh, a pretty good amount when you put 20% down, it's pretty hard to find in this market right now. So the majority of what you're probably going to have to do is probably like you said, of, of, yeah. you know, a forced appreciation. Yeah, but but even then, I mean, I think people also need to think a little bit outside of the box and don't get too too set on the idea of I got to buy it right in Ottawa or I got to buy it right in my neighborhood. I mean, look, if you go into some of the surrounding areas, some of the smaller towns uh, around the city, you know, like whether it's close far as Pembroke or look at Armfire, look at uh, look at uh, Carlton Place, look at Rockland, look at uh, you know all, all these little smaller markets uh, just outside the city where we where there's still buildings. Your cap rates are going to be higher there. So if you're insistent on getting a higher cap rate, push yourself a little bit outside of the outside of the market. And now then people have the question, well, will it rent? Well, especially even now with COVID and everything, people are more apt to working from home, more more comfortable with being in those, those smaller markets. So it's not uh, the, the risk of, of being in those smaller towns is even less. But then again, too, you think of if you're going to be in one of those smaller towns, think of what's the demographic or think of what, what motivates this one. You know, like uh, like if you look at a city like Pembroke, Pembroke still has is a good rental town in the sense that it has uh, the army base, Petawawa Army Base is the you know big employer there. Not just and I don't just mean the army people, but all the services that provide for the people in the army. You also have Algonquin College out there. Okay, so those are two big. You have a hospital there, so there's there's three big anchors of employment there. Look at a place like Armfire. Well, Armfire as a population in general is growing. You know what I mean? Like people who who work in Canada, a lot of them will, work, will live in Armfire. So the rents will be cheaper, which also the cost of purchase will be cheaper. Your cap rate will be better, uh, typically. So, you know, so so I think, again, I, I always like to say, like, every deal is different, and every opportunity needs to be looked at properly. You really be able to assess the risk. I mean, even if something is, even again, even if the cap rate is great, if you can get some favorable terms. So, like, yes, you know what, I'm paying a little bit more than I typically would pay for this but my my plan for this for this property is to hold it for 25 years uh, and you, you make sure you obviously you have an exit strategy too in case after you know maybe a shorter period of time things don't work out you do you're not going to lose your shirt on it but yeah, so, 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 uh, sorry to interrupt you I, I just want to talk quickly uh, when you say exit strategies well uh, what type of exit strategies do you mean like do you have any examples at all uh, exit strategy is essentially a worst case scenario, whether it's, so, so let's say you bought a place by yourself, okay, and uh, you can't, uh, and it's, it's not working, like uh, maybe you're in over your head or they're, they're not, it's not doing what you want, so you got to pivot in some way. If, if it's, uh, you sell the property, sell the property. If it's maybe you find another investor to come in with you, you know, maybe, maybe that's an example as well. Um, or exit strategy, I mean, again, it kind of depends on the scenario, like maybe you're, Buying the property and you're thinking, okay, we're going to do uh, uh, obviously it's going to be purpose-built rentals, but now and you're but you're in a location that's uh, that's good for students and you weren't thinking of renting to students, so now you're thinking, okay, I need to maybe I need to rent to students, or maybe or maybe it's a matter of you know we need to do this type of renovation so we can get this type of you know we can get this type of rent so we can actually uh, um, you know get the returns we want. So you again. Yeah, I, I look, every scenario is really different and you have to look at every scenario and decide um, the best way to move forward for your investment. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, that, 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 
that's some good advice. So um, with that, like what, what are some average sort of price per unit? So you seeing is like, cause I, I, I was looking at a few properties and I was seeing that uh, that were listed that were, some of them were between uh, 250,000 per unit up to, you know, 300 and, you know, 20,000 per unit, which 320,000 per unit is I, I, I see is pretty, pretty high, but like, you know, like you were saying is like, if, if the rent support it and the rent, like if they're, uh, they're more of like a high end rental unit, then I guess it, it would work. Right. Uh, but, but what are you sort of seeing as like an average sort of base, base level for, you know, uh, price per unit? Uh, well, especially now with the new construction, it's all become all for the new construction stuff has been selling, um, you know, we're talking 320 all the way up to, it could be 400, uh, a door depending on uh, even 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 more you know uh, depending on where it is and obviously the income that, that's kind of a range there uh, in terms of the older product uh, at 250 very popular like there's a building right downtown but actually that's where I met uh, when you're talking about this, I think I met him there um, that building ended up, ended up having like there was 40 units all bachelors bachelors and one bedrooms sold uh, within a week I think it was if I'm, my calculator with me here uh, 40 units sold for 8.3. Yeah, so that, was, that was less. That was 200. This over 200. But it was, the building was not in you know best cosmetic shape. So I mean that definitely takes a it, it has a has is a factor as well. So look, short answer to your question: What are the average price per doors? I think you got to be careful when you look at just price per doors. But yeah, new construction. Minimum, I think, 320 door. Uh, I think you're, you're getting a good opportunity. From what I've seen recently, uh, you're getting a good opportunity. And I've seen, but I've seen recently stuff by 400. And even, I'm not going to be surprised to see something else at 500 because the cost of construction is going up. But if the rent's there to support it, great. In terms of uh, older product, and, and, and do keep in mind too, when I, when I speak of the properties that I'm looking at, I really am thinking six plus. I'm not really, I'm not, I, I, I don't follow as much. Um, the, the market under six units anymore. Uh, we're, we're really focusing on six above. So so yeah, and, and then, but in that space it's 250 or uh, 200, 250 or is it unheard of? No, it's not unheard of. But when you when you say the point of expensive, like I don't even like really, I mean, maybe that's the, the broker in me, but I don't really like to use, use the word expensive anymore. I think it's all relative, you know, again, if the building is 400 a door, but they're getting, you know, 3,000 a month rents, you know, or. 3,500 a month rents consistently, uh, you know, and the cap rate ends up being, let's say the cap rate's like five cap or four and a half, even if it's four cap on a brand new building in a beautiful location, okay, and you're, and you're looking for steady income. Some people say it's expensive, but you know what? It's expensive today, but it's a steal tomorrow. Like, I, I don't know how many deals I've seen like that. Like, even one good example, when I first, when I first uh, came to was a capital, there was a deal that uh, we had a listing on Stewart Street. It was a thirty-some uh, unit apartment building, and we brought it to market. We thought the price. Well, again, I was I was very green at the time, so I was you know leaning on everyone. They thought the price was going to sell at at X price, okay. And then when the offers came in, we got offers at and this is back in like twenty thirteen or something. Like that. We got offers above you know multiple offers above market. Above market price, you know, like similar to the residential market that's happening right now, you know, all these multiple offers of bids, and it was significantly higher than than everything else. And at the time, we we're like, "Wow, you know, that's fantastic." I mean, I don't know how they're going to make this work. I don't know how they're going to make money on this. Da, 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 da. But the thing about that these buyers knew is that this building 
is very difficult to replace in this location. It's a fantastic location. You have the University of Ottawa being right there. You also have, you're, you're, you're frankly right downtown. And today, based on the price that they pay for this, and at the time, I think it was like in the low, I think it was 140 or 150 a door at the time. Today, uh, if that building had spatulas sold at what, 210 or whatever it was a door, I mean, today, 250, 300 maybe even for that building if it's in good shape. And I, every time I drive by, I mean, I know it's in good shape. So, so I mean, that, that's also what you look at. Look, at the end of the day, you have to look at your bottom line. I mean, you, you're, no one's doing this for the glory of buying real estate. You do this to make a profit uh, and have a return. And then, you know, you're looking to build wealth through real estate. But to say, it, I don't like, again, I, I just don't like the word expensive. I, I like looking at it as looking at each opportunity and if it makes sense, it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. Something's expensive for you, but it's perfect price for someone else. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and, and I actually, uh, I, I actually really like that perspective on, uh, uh, on that, right. It's, uh, like, like you're saying, it's just relative to pretty much what you're getting for the rents. And, uh, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, so jumping now to what are some common problems that you're seeing with, uh, some of the older properties, uh, in Ottawa, uh, some of the older buildings, like the multifamily properties. Well, what are some, uh, like, is it electrical plumbing or what, what do you sort of see that's issues that come up often? Often issues that come up in an older building. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting question to think about. Um, I mean, issues, there's, there's maintenance upkeep, right? Like, I mean, it, sometimes it can depend on who the, who the owner's been, who the landlord's been. I mean, is this a landlord who, uh, who's always been on top of, on top of uh, maintaining the units, you know? Like, I think that you typically an older building has, has older tenants who've been there for a long time, and a lot of the times the rents are a lot lower, you know? Uh, or an older building, you know, they're not built like they are today. And uh, there's a lot of, there could be a lot of, especially in the downtown core area where you'll have uh, some landlords saying, okay, well, I'm going to rent it all to students. So they, they chop it up. It'll take a one bedroom and chop it up, chop it up, chop it up and, until they can put like two, three people in there. But it's not really the most efficient way to run that property. And then you come to a market like, you know, where's, you know, you know in the COVID market, uh, it becomes a challenge. And as well as when you have other people who are building brand new purpose-built student residence stuff, that also becomes a challenge as well. Now, yes, that's student residence. The brand new student residence stuff is all is uh, much more expensive and so this is cheaper so it still quote unquote serves a certain niche in the market but it, it, it will become problematic um and they, they can be expensive to maintain if you don't maintain it properly elevators are not cheap to do you know what i mean if you're building with an elevator you two hundred thousand two hundred fifty thousand to fix that if you have to maybe maybe more if you have to do a roof i mean that can be very expensive if you have to do a the big ticket items, you know, the big, the roof, the elevators, the foundation, the windows, balconies, those five items are, are like the big, really a lot of big ticket items, uh, the important boiler as well. Those are the big ticket items in the building. So if those have been maintained in an older building, then it almost doesn't even really even matter. I mean, if those, let's say you're going into, and that's, I think, part of the appeal too of that last building that sold. All those, those big ticket items were all done, but the cosmetic, the interior wasn't done. So it's nothing to go inside and fix up the apartment. Like anyone can, not, I won't say anybody, but nine out of 10 people who are, are buying that type of building and have been in this long enough know how to go into an apartment, renovate the apartment and attract a, a higher, a higher, higher rent. Well, if you have to deal with the windows, you have to deal with the balconies, you have to deal with the boiler, if you have to deal with the roof, all that stuff, you know, it can weigh on people and people might want to take that risk. On top of that, your insurance company is not going to be so excited about those items too. So 
those are some of the challenges. Really, really, if it comes to the older buildings, it really comes down to the maintenance, the maintenance, and um, the maintenance and the management. You know, again, yeah, that 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 I would say that's what it is: maintenance and the management. If you have good management and they've been maintaining the building properly, even if it's even if it's a hundred-year-old building, you know what I mean? It, it, it's it's still be in very good shape and it's still be very well moved. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so pretty much look for when, when you're going into, let's say one of these multifamily buildings, you want to be looking at like the five big ticket items, uh, making sure those are properly maintained. Also look at the property management company to see if they've been doing a good job with maintaining the property as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, whether it's a management company or the seller is managing it themselves, I mean, you just want to know that you know, things have been taken care of, um, you know, things have been left, left, uh, left alone. You walk into like some apartments, you can walk into them and you see like the, the dripping in the ceilings, or you see this big stain that keeps getting bigger or keeps getting bigger. And you talk to the tenant, be like, Yeah, that was there when we moved in. How long have you been there? Five years or three years, or even if it's six months and no one's done anything, you know, that's going to be cause a problem. Yeah, then the question becomes, Okay, where else in the building is there a problem? It's, it's tough to get behind the walls, right? Like, it's uh, you have a big job, we find a leak here, and there's a leak there. Is that coming from the roof, or is it coming from a burst pipe? You know, the, that those questions become very challenging uh, if, you, if you have to fix that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and, and like you said, you, you like, you can't see through walls. So making sure you're doing your due diligence and making sure because like, that can be probably expensive, very well, that can be very expensive. If there's problems with the piping and you know, they burst or something and you have flooding or and whatever uh, else that, that that can cause a lot of problems. Um, so now uh w with the market like i i i know uh you, you, like i know that you, with your perspective you like to look at everything relatively but uh with ottawa right now performing so well uh do you think there's a lot of speculation in the market and do you think multifamily in ottawa right now is overvalued uh at, at this current moment with covid and with the, you know the future of ottawa you know since i came into the business people have been telling me everything is overpriced you know what i think was um, so, so again, the, the question of overpriced is, uh, is, uh, in my opinion, it's a relative, relative question. Is there speculation in the market? So speculation meaning like people are just buying blindly and just parking money in, in the city. I think there, yeah, I, th I think there's some of that for, for sure. I mean, I think there's, but I think there's some of that in almost every market. I think Ottawa has become a bit more, has, has become a bit more, uh, I don't want to say attractive, but we're popular for it. Like the, the, it's really a, usually the three bigger markets, like the Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. Uh, Montreal has become popular like that. Most people are like international investors looking to park money, but it's because they recognize those cities. They're like these are big cities. They feel like these are big, big cities, and they're not going anywhere. And so, if I have to park money, I can, I can, I can do that. And Ottawa is is a place, is I believe a place like that as well. But it's not as popular. I don't think it's it's to the same level as like a Vancouver, uh, where they're just parking money, or to a uh, to a uh, Toronto where people were parking money. Um, Ottawa is is I think more based on fundamentals, but at the same time, from international as well as the local people, and especially I think after seeing this COVID thing, because our I'm more about our percentage percentage of people who who miss rent in Ottawa is probably less than people who less percentage than people who miss rent in some of these other major markets. So I think other from institutional to uh, to private investor is going to look at Ottawa and say, okay, actually, this is probably an area where we'd like to focus a bit more on, maybe put some more capital in because the fundamentals are solid. And I think that's really what, what starts to drive the market. And then the speculation, obviously, is like putting gasoline on the fire. But the fundamentals are, are still strong here. 
And um, if there's speculation, sure, there's, like I said, there's speculation, in, I think, in every market. But I think it's up to the buyer to, to understand the opportunities. So in terms of, and again, to the point of overvalued, I'm not a big fan of that word overvalued because, again, I've seen stuff people buy overvalued today and then it was like, man, it was, a, you know, three years later, oh, man, that building was a steal. I wish I would have bought that building. You know, even first, our first property I bought was a triplex and everyone was telling me, it's like, oh man, that, you know, that area is not, that's not that great. You know, the price is kind of high, this, that, and the other. And uh, today I'm, I'm super stoked. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, light rail's going around the corner and, and, uh, and even if light rail wasn't there, it's still, it's still an area that's coming. It's still central location. It's still, uh, it's still doing very well. So, I mean, I'm very happy, you know, I'm like, oh, fantastic, you know? So, so I think that's how you look at it. And you can, it's not that you can guarantee that real estate's gonna just spike up in value, but if some fundamentals are there and if you can bring the rents up, whether you do force appreciation or not, if the rents are gonna be increasing, <clears throat> and you have enough down on the property, then you know. Oh, okay, okay. All right, nice. So, what with uh, from your point of view right now, uh, do you see a lot of opportunity? Because I, I know that land values in Ottawa are starting to get, um, well, like 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 you said, it's, it's all relative. I was going to say expensive, but it's it's all relative, right? Um, but like, are are you seeing opportunity right now with uh, purpose built uh, rental properties? Uh, is there a lot of opportunity in that for investors to go down that route? Uh, or is it still, you know, uh, is there still quite a bit of opportunity with older, uh, older properties and doing sort of a forced appreciation sort of strategy with them? Well, like even to go back to one of your last questions. So in terms of the old property, what are the, what are the problems with them? The reason why the biggest reason why uh, new, new construction has become a bit more popular is because the price of the older stuff has increased to a point where, if it costs this much to do a new building and it's this much to buy an old building, well then I might as well spell and spend the extra and just build a new building. And then I don't have to worry about, you know, for, I, I have at least 10, you know, 20 years of virtually no maintenance, obviously basic stuff and virtually no maintenance. That's the idea. The challenge with in the new building is buying the land at a cost that could work in a location that could work. So the older buildings, they already have their locations. So that's why sometimes people are still buying, even are still paying quote unquote new construction prices for older buildings because you can't replace locations. But from a <clears throat> from a point of, of building new, is there demand? I think there's definitely has been demand. I do think with with COVID, you know, it, it's a unique situation. And I think that the dynamic might change a little bit, you know, and Ottawa does have a lot of units coming. Um, is it too much? I don't know if it's too much. I think as of right now to say, to say right now today, that's too much. No, I think there's still demand. I think COVID has obviously slowed down the market. So it's, it's, a, it's a big variable, but to, to the root of your question, is there opportunity? Definitely. I think though buying your land at the, at a good price is a, is a key factor because the cost of construction is right, is going up quite a bit. And that's a challenge. You know, I think a lot of people have to be ready for new construction too. It's not as straightforward. It's definitely not as straightforward as buying an old building. You, you know, you buy the building, you get the loan from the bank, you close on it, you know, you're off the races. No, 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 no. With land, I mean, and, and we're in it right now. Like we have, so I told you, my mom has a, has a property um, in Orleans and that's something where we've been working on for a while on putting that together. But there's, you know, it's very capital intensive. There's a lot of studies that need to be done. You have to work it out with the city. You might have to get your zoning changed. Uh, and then you have to deal with the neighbors. It's, it's a different, uh, a different business to get through that that portion from land purchase to to uh, full building because I mean even after you built the building you still have to fill up the building 
you know, how long is that going to take? Have you, have you planned that in your financing? So is there opportunity? 100%. Okay, there's 100% opportunity for because the demand for rental is, is still there. You have a baby boomer generation who are selling their big house and a lot of them do want to rent. Uh, they want to rent in areas. But the thing is, they want to rent and they're, they're, they want to rent in spaces that are comfortable. They don't necessarily want to be in the smallest, you know, uh, 300 square foot condo type space. I mean, they, they do want bigger spaces because they're coming from 3,000 square foot homes. So they do feel like they need, they need that bigger space. And, and a lot of times they want to pay for that bigger space. But it's got to be, it's got to be in a location that they like. They, they, a lot of them still do want maybe one parking space. <clears throat> They're not, I, I find, yeah, I have to say, I mean, I've I found so much that they're not quite using the public transit as much as millennial generation is using public transit. Uh, maybe that'll change when L13 is really flowing everywhere right now, where it's, a, it's, a, it's just a phase one, maybe when things are really flowing everywhere in the city anymore. But again, uh -huh. yeah, the root of your question, definitely opportunity for you. Sure, 100%. And we do a lot of that. We do, we do a multi, multi, like in our multi family sales as well as intros. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, w jumping to like the, the investor side, uh, w from, from your point of view as a broker and doing, you know, you're being involved with a lot of different, uh, deals. Uh, what are some like, uh, you know, pitfalls or mess ups that you see happening to new investors when they jump into the multifamily space? Uh, like, you know, is it them not doing the financial analysis properly, uh, or them just managing the, not managing the property, uh, correctly? Like, what what, what do you usually see with new investors where, where they usually mess up? New investors. So when you say new investors, you mean someone who had a house and now is going to multifamily or someone who didn't have any real estate at all and now they're buying. And is this someone uh, buying a, are we thinking they're buying a smaller property or they're buying a bigger property? Like, yeah. So, uh, let's say somebody's scaling up, let's say they had a couple houses, maybe a couple like, you know, duplexes, triplexes, and now they're wanting to go after a 12 unit building or, you know, a 30 unit building, so getting into scaling up into a bigger multifamily. What, what do you usually see as some mistakes that these people make when they do that scale up process? Um, good question. I mean, what kind of mistakes? I mean, I think, uh, It's a good question. I mean, in terms of mistakes, I mean, I'd say with the history of, with the clients that I, I'm working with right now, I mean, I can't say that there's uh, anything uh, gut-wrenching or deal-killing that they've done. I mean, I think I think some people can certainly get over their head and maybe not plan properly the amount of time they need to dedicate towards it. Some people, you know, obviously you have a, but it's still a business. I and mean, I think people have to remember that, especially when you're getting to, you know, when, when, you're, when you're going to a true multifamily, you are running a business. And I think people have to keep that in the back of their minds. Uh, you know, so, so I think some people might not, or might think that this is actually taking up more time than they anticipated. You know, it's, it's not just, okay, I have the key. Thank you. I mean, if you had, even if you're hiring a management company to run for you, you still got to keep in touch with them and stay on top of them. But obviously, you know, you, you have more control of your time if you are going to hire a management company. But I, I would say that, yeah, the biggest, of the clients that I know that let's say I've had a lot, have been in business a long time. I think, I think one, maybe over leveraging yourself, uh, you know, being, being, being careful of that, not leverage yourself too much. That all of a sudden you're pulling all the equity out because people buy and they refinance and they want to go buy something else. Um, make sure you're not leaving yourself too thin and you have some contingency for yourself and the property. Uh, and I'd say making sure you're also keeping up on the maintenance. I mean, a lot of people don't, that, that's, that's a big thing that can really, uh, really, a small problem now then it becomes bigger then it becomes bigger then it becomes bigger then it becomes bigger and so if you can nip it in the butt when it's a small problem that's much better than waiting to becomes a big 
big problem and it's a much bigger job. So keeping on, I just say keeping on top of the maintenance, keeping on top of the management. But, but typically, I mean, if you already had three, four houses and now you have 12 units, well, really it's like having 12 houses all in one space, but it's, you know, you now you're only dealing with one roof, one boiler, you know, uh, and everything's in the same location. You know, there's probably one snow contract or one lawn contract contract it out. So it becomes, usually when people are making that, that, that transition from, let's say, like three, four, five houses and go buy a unit, 12 unit, it's typically a, a I don't want to say relief, but, but they start to see more and more how this is way better than having these houses in different locations. I mean, people start with houses in different locations because they understand the financing. I go to the bank, I have 20% down, the bank gives me money, and that's, and, and that's, the, you know, that's what it is, as long as I have my job and, and uh, qualifying. Whereas with commercial, it's, it's more based on the building. I mean, they look at your situation as well, but it's more based on the performance of the building. So, so some people think, um, you know, I can go with 20% down and I'm fine, but it's not necessarily the case, you know, on a 12 unit building. You, you might need, you might, coming up front, even if you get CMHC, you might be 30% down if the building's not performing properly. You, know, you gotta be the one to turn that around. And so that is the, that is the biggest misconception of sometimes, depending on what kind of condition you're getting the building in, the amount of work that actually needs to go into it to make it to what you want. That, that would be the biggest thing that I think people can underestimate. Now, if you get through it though, you know, you get through it, you get to that other side, they're usually quite, you know, they're quite content with the results. They're like, okay, wow, I've, I've done okay, and I've turned this around, and it's 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 good. You know, but some of them are like, you know, it, it's been good, it was a good experience, and I've made some money on it, but I wouldn't do it again. You know what I mean? Because it took too much time away from my life. Uh, but some people are like, okay, you know, we're crazy. Let's let's go. Let's get going with the next one. You know. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. So, and. and- I, 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 I believe heavily in that is, uh, you know, it's, it comes down to personal preference, right? Is somebody seeing this as a business or is somebody just seeing this as like, Hey, you know, I love the job I'm currently doing or they have their own business and they just want to park some extra capital in, in real estate. So really understanding, like taking it from like a point of view of like you're saying is that like, this is a business and you're operating a new business. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I know we're coming to the end here. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to add about, let's say, uh, you know, any advice or anything like that to a new uh, multifamily investor at all? Any advice to a new multifamily investor? Well, I think, I think, uh, I guess my advice would depend on what kind of asset you're buying or how public you're buying. But I'd say, you know, going with your eyes, if you're going to be new, you know, definitely going with your eyes open. Uh, definitely going, if, you, if you're setting a target of the type of return you want to get, it's fine, but make sure it's realistic. I mean, don't say, you know, sometimes we'll call a person or, or they'll call us and be like, yeah, I want 10% cash on cash right, right away when I buy it. And I say, well, look, you're not going to find it in this market. You know, it's just, unless, uh, and you're not going to find it. And if you do find it, which you probably won't, but even if you did find it, it's a building that's going to need a lot of attention. Okay. A lot of attention where you have some tenants that are not uh, maybe your favorite to deal with. Uh, you have some problems with the building. Um, there'll be a lot of problems with that building. So, I mean, looking at it on paper and say 10%, I'm buying it without knowing nothing about the property. That's a bit of a, that's a bit of a concern. So, I mean, have realistic expectations for what you're, you're buying and understand the realistic expectations of what your expectations are going to be when you own this property. That's it. Those are to be the two, if for a new person, those would be the two biggest things. I mean, if you're looking at someone who's looking to scale up, <clears throat> then, uh, I mean, if, if you like this business and you understand what's going on, go for it. I mean, definitely, I'm obviously, you know, again, have your return in mind, a realistic return in mind, but go for that return, go for the purchase, right? you know, buy something that's going to make sense. It's going to make sense for the long term. I mean, don't, but don't buy thinking, 
don't buy with the mindset of, uh, you know, I'm buying it today and, uh, you know, I got to make all my money tomorrow. You want to buy with like a kind of a 10 year plan in mind if you're buying, when you're, when you're investing in anything. I think Warren Buffett said that, like everything he buys, he buys with like thinking of a 10 year or 20 year horizon, which is, I think, the, the best way to think. Because I mean, yes, in the beginning, it's, it's not, you, you don't think of it much, but then after you've owned the property for five years, or you open the property for three years and you look back, and that's what, and that's what I go back to saying, you know, everyone thought it was overpriced three years ago, and now, you know, you're laughing. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's people were saying this two, three years ago, a perfect, perfect example. Okay. I remember a client bought a property at the time, at the time, okay, the interest rate uh, was 5%, okay, 5%, that's, and, and the, you know, when they were buying, started buying real estate, they were buying, you know, 8% or whatever, so the interest rate, I think it was 4 or 5%, they're like, lock it in, you know, they locked in for 10 years at that rate, okay, and they were like, I mean, interest rates aren't going any lower than that, no way, it's, that's fantastic, boom, all over it. And then, you know, three years, four years later, they're like, you know, let's flip, we can flip the building and make some money. But it was a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and they weren't able to sell it because they're like, well, the market was like, well, I can go get 3% right now. I can get three and a quarter percent right now. Why am I going to assume your mortgage at 5%, you know? So, <clears throat> so that, uh, <laughs> so anyway, that just threw it off. And, and people were like, oh man, that, you know, it was a, it was a quote unquote overpriced, but if someone would have bought that property at that time versus what we did, what it did end up selling for later on or what it could sell for today would have been a very, very, they would have done very, very well. Even if they had to pay the extra interest rate, uh, given what it would sell for today. I mean, the property that was selling a few years ago, client did very well, uh, sellers did very well, but even then they could flip that building again today and still do very well. So yeah. keep your financing in mind as well. For sure. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and I don't think uh, I don't know if you know a mortgage broker called uh, uh, Chad Robinson, but I, I I had him on the show and uh, he yes, he had uh, yeah, yeah awesome awesome. So yeah, I, he he had a really good quote and he says he likes real estate because it's get rich slow. It's not like you're gonna go out and buy a property and you know the next day you're gonna make like three hundred thousand dollars on it. Right. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's a 10 year plan. It's a seven year plan. It's a 25 year plan. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you put the work in, it will, you know, it, it, it will show for you that you, you, you will make money from it. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's been great uh, having you on the show. Uh, where can people find out more about, uh, you know, what you guys do if they're interested in getting to contact you, uh, you know, to find a multifamily property or maybe if they're interested in selling their building? Uh, what, where can people find out more about what you guys do? Uh, we'll find out more about what we can do. I mean, you can contact us through one of our listings, or you can definitely reach out to my website. That's uh, uh, yeah, com or .ca. Uh, my contact information is there. Uh, send me an email, kborn at centercapital.ca. <clears throat> we can certainly get in touch that way. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, hey, I have to say thank you for, for selecting me and having me on the show. Uh, it's funny, everyone you've mentioned, yeah, I, I know them and uh, people I like and uh, do business, so. I like to think you're, you're picking some good people to interview. So that's good. And uh, I wish you a lot of luck too. I mean, I mean, we spoke a little bit briefly about, I guess, what you were trying to do and, and, and where you're trying to go. And I think, yeah, definitely interviewing tons of people in different situations. You're definitely going to get little, little bits of information about everybody on, on the best way to achieve whatever the, the final goals that you have. So good, good on you for doing something like this. Because this, this takes time to plan and this takes time to do and to coordinate. I mean, uh, I just run the multifamily. And it's something maybe we'll, we'll probably start doing again, but we used to run a multifamily group. And we'd have people 
come in together in a room and we'd all just talk about multifamily in terms of opportunities and pitfalls. We'd have presenters that talked about it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's we, we did a lot of that. And so but I, I know the amount of coordination that's involved in terms of getting people out and, and, uh, and doing that type of thing. So good on you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you again for coming on the show.